How's your day? <sighs> it's all right. Um, it's been pretty cool. Nothing exciting. <laughs> okay. How are you? I'm good. Good. I had my coffee, my Adderall, and I'm all ready. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when do you when do you get into writing? When do I get into it? Like when when was your first inkling that you wanted to be like a writer? Oh, when I first inkling. So I have very vivid memories of being a really little kid and writing little stories. Mm-hmm. writing little comic strips and like you know little poems so um i think when i was younger um i just really liked to read and write and in my uh, public school they had like they would have like a yearly writing contest and it was like mostly like poetry and short stories um and i would enter it every year i loved doing it uh and so it was, but i just did it because i liked it i never thought of it it's like art or a form or a practice it's something i always did and then um i think for me like writing those little poems when i was a kid or those little short stories or those comic strips i don't know i just really loved them and i love sharing them with people so i think way back then did but, you write did uh, you write fan fiction no they were just oh wow. oh, oh honest actually i take that back <laughs> i take that back i did write fan fiction when I was a kid um I was really into this PBS show called Ghostwriter oh yeah it was like about these kids that would use writing as a tool to like solve these mysteries right um and it was like called Ghostwriter like this ghost was sending them these messages anyways if you haven't seen it look it up it was an amazing PBS show but I loved that show I was obsessed with it and Wasn't I grew- the- Ghost huh. like a like a slave that like died or something. I don't remember what the ghost was. Okay. I, need, I need to look it back up. I remember it was like it appeared to this like a little ball of light or something. Yeah. It would write things of the air, I guess. But I remember I wrote a little fan fiction story about Ghostwriter and I injected myself into the little group of kids. But I didn't know what fan fiction was at the time. I was just a kid, but I guess, yeah, I guess I did write fan fiction. My one and only fan fiction piece was a ghostwriter. What do you <laughs> think when piece. you when you infuse films like Paris is Burning into your work? Do you think of yeah. that maybe a little bit as fan fiction? Oh, uh, you know, maybe. I never really considered that specific piece um a piece of fan fiction, but I guess kind of. I mean, I'm such a fan of that work. Um mm-hmm. and it means so much to me. It's like one of my favorite it is my favorite movie. I've seen it a million times. Um so I guess that is maybe I've never really considered it as fan fiction. Yeah. I maybe more as an homage and like a you know like honoring yeah. that, not even necessarily that body of work because obviously it was like, you know, made by a white woman, um, white cis woman, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I love the I love Jenny Livingston's film, but like that piece was really more to honor the the trans folks in that movie right like the trans mm-hmm. women particularly um and the trans femmes and the black and brown folks in that movie that's really why i wrote that piece it was really more to honor them yeah um, and the work that they were doing that happened to get documented through that you know that film so how do you go from writing little pieces when you're a kid to like i'm going to present this on a stage i'm going to speak out in front of people oh gosh so i i originally thought i was going to be a journalist I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia, and I went to their journalism school. And I graduated from the journalism school with a bachelor's in, um, you know, journalism. Wow. So I was uh, convinced I was going to like write 
for fucking Rolling Stone and be like, you know, some sort of like crazy magazine writer, editor. But when I got into the journalism classes, I just kind of, I hated being around other journalists. (laughs) I hated being around these aspiring journalists. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way if this is my career, I cannot work with these people. Like, I don't even like being around these people. Um, But they're just stuffy? There's like, yeah, very stuffy and very like, like, you know, I'm 36. So, right. I went to college in the early 2000, like 2005, right. To mm-hmm. 2009. And like, even then, like just kind of the level of like white mediocrity and the like, straight, like, you know, straight cis uh, concepts of like the world that it's just like, makes no sense how people think mm-hmm. how certain things should be when there's like so much more out there. And, um, I just felt like, oh, I, I guess I was under the false assumption that if anyone would be very open to telling stories and gaining new information, it would be like journalists, right? But no, it's it's not really like that. I mean, maybe, if, you know, if you're a good journalist, you do become that person. But these were like, you know, we were all teenagers, we're kids. So I just remember thinking, I don't, uh, these are not the people I want to, you know, grow mm-hmm. up with in a career. And so I kind of became disillusioned with it. And so I didn't become a journalist um but i graduated from the the school and got my degree and then um i graduated in the middle of the recession so oh, yeah. that was 2008 2009 right when i graduated mm-hmm. and so there was all that also made sense it also was a I guess a silver lining because i did want to be a journalist but it was also a good thing because everyone was like getting laid off Everyone mm-hmm. was getting laid off. So I was like, well, I can't even get a job in journalism, even if I wanted it. So I kind of just kind of uh, dropped out of, I don't want to say life. Like I just kind of took some time to just figure out what I wanted to do. And I just like worked bullshit mall jobs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like really depressed, but I didn't really know how to channel that. Um, Cause I had assumed like I was going to be a writer of like this, like, you know, nonfiction kind of work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was just really depressed and really bored. And I just picked up a book one day, um, like a notebook. And I just started writing poems again. And nice. they weren't good. They were pretty bad. I was definitely rusty at it from being a kid because I probably hadn't written a poem since I was a child. Mm-hmm. But I just started to like just experiment. I started writing little poems here and there. And, you know, I got ahead of collection and they were all really bad. But I was like, well, I like doing this. And. I guess something in my brain clicked again. I was like, oh, yeah, you, you loved doing this when you were a kid. And then I started reading poetry and then I started reading other, you know, works of art and, uh, you know, other writers. And I moved to St. Louis mm-hmm. and I was living with an ex-boyfriend at the time. And he knew I was like an aspiring writer and he really was encouraging me to like, you know, to do that. And I started to meet and make friends in the arts community in St. Louis Um, musicians and like performers and drag artists and you know you know visual artists and so I was already kind of slowly stepping into that world and I just you know had there was like open mics in St. Louis there was like several like kind of open mic uh, circuits in St. Louis at the time and like the mid 2000s that were really popular and so my friends who were artists were doing them. And so I just was at one of the open mics one day and everyone was like, oh, you, you should do something. I was like, well, I guess I could read a poem. I mean, you know, I've never done it before. And so I just kind of did that. And that was like mm-hmm. my first time performing, I guess, in front of a group of people. And then one open mic led to another open mic and then led to another open mic. 
And then that led me to um, being asked to be like being curated and being asked to do like a reading. And that uh, was really interesting. And that was with other really, you know, developed poets. And so that led to me being invited back again and doing other shows. And so it was just like this slow progression of, I guess, taking baby steps into becoming an artist. Yeah. Uh, and then I also had a lot of friends in the St. Louis punk scene and the DIY scene, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, very queer and punk and like trans and like, so those kids really did a lot of cool stuff. And so I would go to their events and then I slowly was getting asked to do perform or host those parties. And mm-hmm. so this kind of became this a natural, I guess, progression from doing these open mics than being, you know, invited into these spaces and then doing shows. It was, yeah, it was, it was but it took about 10 years. I was uh-huh. working and doing that for 10 to 12 years in St. Louis. And I mean, when I left St. Louis, I definitely had felt very proud of the work I did there and, you know, the shows that I had done and I had been on tour and I produced these zines and, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I was, I'm very proud of the work I did in St. Louis, but it really was like, I felt like I really was taking like baby steps every step of the way but I don't feel like, feel like I even really, really like had even hit my like my sense as a, a writer or a poet or a performer until probably like gosh, like five year, five to six years into doing it. Is yeah, really like it a boy click. Well, um, uh, well, the I can tell you the day I, I I know the exact moment it happened. Um, we had this show in St. Louis at this very old school a bar called JJ's Clubhouse. It was like one of the last like bare leather bars in mm-hmm. the t- city, right? Um, and it was like the place to go. Like that was like re- the one place you wanted to go on a Saturday night to dance and like flirt and like, you know, all that fun stuff we do at gay bars. <laughs> <laughs> all the dirty, nasty shit we do at the gay bars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they had a big party there one time. And I had, at that point, I was like, God, I had been in st louis for ooh, five six but six years probably six years six or seven years at that point and i had just started transition i had been in transition for about a year at that point too taking hor- well socially transition for like two years but like on hormones for a year and then um they were hosting a show there called art as verb and it was the headliners were justin vivian bond and christine and there were some local performers opening up for them. And I was asked to do uh, a show there, do a, like a set there. And so there was like, uh, Maxi Glamour was, uh, they were like doing a drag set. And then there was another artist that was doing a performance art set. But I was like the only poet that was asked, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously Justin Vivian Bond and Christina are music, music, musicians. So they were doing musical numbers. And so my set was literally just, I was like, I just have this poem I wrote. And it was about, I wrote it right when um, Donald Trump got elected oh, um, wow. and it was, and it was called, um, Oh my God. Uh, transsexual love dreams. Um, oh my God. What is the name of that fucking um, poem? Isn't that bad? I don't even know the names of my own poems. No, that's fine. <laughs> I don't even know the names of my own poems. But anyways, fine. I wrote this poem um, and it was, I wrote it right when Donald Trump was elected. Um, I think it was called transsexual love dreams on the on the on the eve of Donald Trump's election or inauguration or something like that. And anyway, so I wrote this poem. It was very, very like political and very angry. Um, and like the thing about JJ's is like it's a club. It's like a club scene mm-hmm. and it's a gay club at that. So like, you know, you have all these like drunk gays. Most of them are like 
you know, bears, um, which we, we love our bears, but yeah. you know, like it, it's kind of, it's a hard crowd to get their attention and be quiet, especially for mm-hmm. a poem. So I didn't know if I was even going to be able to like capture anyone's attention, but I was like, okay, whatever. I'm gonna get on the stage and read it and see what happens. And I remember I got on the stage and I started the poem and I don't know, maybe it's because I was so angry at the time and that kind of effect came out or what, but that entire room without anyone prompting them just got quiet. Like, to the point where like you could hear the pin drop. So mm-hmm. all eyes were on me and I read the poem and I killed it and I came off that stage and everyone was going crazy. And I was like, okay, this is when, this is the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the actual moment. Um, and that's when I felt like I really became like a real poet and performer and an artist in that yeah. moment. I mean, that gives it a lot of context. If you're performing at a gay bar with like gay bears, you and really everyone's drunk, to... and everyone's drunk, and everyone's on yeah. poppers, and everyone's having a good time. Mm-hmm. You gotta fucking bring it. <laughs> you have to bring it, or they're yeah. not gonna fucking pay attention. Yeah, but yeah, that to me, I, that was the moment I I will never forget that moment because I also felt the surge of power in me while I was reading, and mm-hmm. um, so I yeah, it was that was a really surreal moment in my life. But that to me was probably like the beginning of me accepting the fact that I was an artist mm-hmm. and going from there. Afterwards, if you go to a reading and it's just like a poetry reading, do you mm-hmm. still bring that same energy? It depends. Like, you know, you know, I do like when I do my full one woman shows, like it's usually anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour of me doing spoken word mixed with the drag. I do drag. Right. I don't mm. know if you've seen any of my performance videos, but I'll do, you know, on stage temporary installations where I build like this world on stage. Right. Um, and I build this stage and then I will have projection on the screen or on the wall somewhere. And then there's always, you know, the spoken word with like these like drag intermissions, if you will. So I'm like these drag numbers that relate to the pieces or the, the motive, like mood of the pieces. But I don't necessarily do that for every show. You know, some things are just, you know, don't work in every space and, you know, so it just really depends on how I'm feeling and the, what the vibe of the venue is and what the vibe of the, the event is or the curators are. It just really kind of depends. Um, usually if it's like in a club setting or a party setting, I do the whole shebang. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a show, you know, you know, you want to bring a show, you want to, you know, you know, and you want people to pay attention and you want to, you know, I'm, I'm a, I feel like I'm a quintessential showgirl in that sense. <laughs> so, yeah. but if it's a little bit more like laid back or a little bit more like intimate, intimate show mm. um, or a reading or a really, really traditional, traditional reading, then I do, I still will bring that energy and that emotion through my, my voice and my reading, but I don't do the whole, the whole thing. Right. I'll just yeah. go up there. I'll do the traditional reading and I'll sit down um so it just kind of depends it really depends on the vibe and the venue um and all that so when you after you find your voice that night when do you start sitting down like i'm gonna write an entire zine or i'm gonna write an entire like book oh so you know my writing is so it really depends like i the first two zines came out very they came out slowly like the first one well, I had done like these like one-off pieces and some of them got published and some of them I just, you know, would read at open at the shows or whatever. Um, but like the actual physical things I, I've been doing. Um, so the wagons ain't here really came out of all of that bullshit that was going through my mind when Donald Trump was elected. Yeah. So pretty much that first 
two years of his presidency writing and thinking about, you know, what we were headed into and what the ramifications of like this new like trajectory of like our consciousness was taking us. And it was clearly taking a lot of people in a very dark, 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 scary place. So that's where that kind of came out of. And that kind of came out of, um, I kind of was thinking of it as more like, you know, what these snapshots from different parts of the country and what, what does that look like and how does it relate to me and my journey yeah. and my community. Right. So if you go through that scene, you see like, there's like these time, this, these like location geo stamps, like Kansas city, St. Louis, Chicago, Columbus, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Houston, Texas. Right. And so yeah, when I was uh, reading it, it felt like a journey, like you're going on a pilgrimage. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I think psychologically I personally was, I think mm-hmm. I was also trying to track this psychological, uh, what I call in the poem, this portal to hell that, yeah. you know, white people and, uh, have opened up with like, you know, the, <laughs> like, you know, they're like, basically they didn't want to share any of their powers. So they're like, well, we're going to elect a demagogue and now, yeah. now you're going to be stuck with this. So it was kind of this portal to our new consciousness that was like really, really terrifying. So it's all, it is kind of a pilgrimage, right? Um, so that's kind of where that came out. Um, and then the summer I got bit came out of a, a breakup. If you could, if you couldn't tell, I have my relationship ended in 2020, right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and like in January it ended. Um, and so that was kind of an outlet for me to process the end of that relationship. Um, but it also was just a way for me to process what it means to be a trans woman, particularly mm-hmm. a transsexual woman. And having have loved someone so deeply and have lost that and like how that ties into the history of trans women in our lives and the fullness mm-hmm. of our lives. Um, because, you know, I had this like understanding that, you know, I've, I'm really sad and I'm grieving, I'm brokenhearted. But one of the things that is very true is I'm not the four, first nor am I the last trans woman to have felt this. And what does this kind of grief look like in Mm -hmm. my sisterhood? And how do, how can I write something that is for trans women to see, to see and honor that kind of grief in in our lives, but also see the hope and the resiliency that comes out of it when we make it to the other side of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what that poem was about. Um, And that one was really fun to write. (laughs) That one was really fun to write. I wrote that one, um, in a hotel room, I hold, I locked myself in a hotel room for like, you know, 12 hours and nice. dropped, dropped acid. And I wrote that poem over 12 hours. I it took like a couple months to edit it and break yeah. it up and do it. But like that came out of me, like processing that breakup and being like, well, I'm going to take this acid and see, see what I can come out, <laughs> see what comes out on the other side. Um, so that's kind of where that came out of. But I think my day to day, like, you know, writing is like, honestly, like I write a lot of stuff on my phone. Yeah. And I like, I write a lot of stuff on the internet, on social media, uh, because I also kind of came out of the Tumblr age of like poetry and writing. Yeah. When I was writing the bad poems, but I was like slowly seeing myself getting a little bit better and better at it. I, Tumblr came out and then, you know, there was that whole crop of like Tumblr writers and mm-hmm. essayists and poets and, you know, all that shit. And so I was kind of doing that as well. So I got used to writing in this very confessional style via social media. 
So some of the things that I write honestly come straight from like, you know, either like a post that I'm going to make or something that I want to write, but I don't, if that makes sense. Like something yeah. I want to post, but I don't necessarily post it, but it comes out of this context of like being in, trapped in very much this like internet, like persona that yeah. I hate having, but so much of us have it. Right. Um, so you don't think your persona of, online is the same. No, it's the same. No, it's the same. I'm okay. very, I'm very much, the sad thing is I'm very much online how I am in real fucking mm-hmm. life. <laughs> it's like it's an amplified voice. It's yes, exactly. Yeah. So I've I maybe I've just I've learned maybe it's because I'm a millennial and I grew up with the internet, but maybe I've just learned to like harness that in a way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it comes out of maybe that social media like voice, but um a lot of it also just comes from writing on my phone when I have like a moment where I know I need to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll just, you know, collect it and see what works, what doesn't, um, and take it from there. But so, yeah, those are kind of like the moments I think where I'm like, it's coming together. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Or not. No, it did. <laughs> uh, did your journey as a writer parallel with your journey, uh, through transitioning? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it did because as I've gotten older, I've realized a couple things. Like, I realized, even though, like, being a kid, like I said, writing those little stories and those poems, it was it, it was so natural and innate to me because I really, really loved doing it. Um, and so, in that sense, I realized, oh, I mean, I might have claimed the title as an artist, as an identity here in my adulthood, but I have been doing this creative imagining and world building since I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And it parallels how I think about my transition as well, because even though I began transition uh, processes, I guess you could say, as an adult, for me, it's taking it's taking therapy and like and writing to understand that I was always a trans person, even when I was a child. And I look back at my child, I was like, oh, you are a trans ass fucking kid. (laughs) I was, you know, and it's so clear when you look back on it, but like it took a lot of time and reflection therapy and writing to understand that and really be at peace with that um mm-hmm. because i mean i don't i can't speak for other trans people but for me in particular i felt very guilty about like depriving myself of something for so long but then i had to realize like well no you always had it you just didn't have the language for it you didn't have the the community and you know yeah. cultural support to own it so that kind of helped me and so i think the trajectory as a writer and as a trans writer, I think has followed this similar path of like being given these gifts that are so special, but because of the way the world works and the, sadly the way the world doesn't really want trans folks to be empowered, mm-hmm. um, it just takes a lot of time to find that from other sources and from within yourself to be able to own it and claim it um, and embody it and then you know practice it and live it. Yeah, what's something that you you said you were looking back on when you were younger and you said there were signs. What's a sign that you could talk about? <laughs> oh, baby. I mean, it, it sounds so cliche, but I mean, I was always in my mama's closet. I was in the heels and in the negligees. I was in the makeup drawer. Like, it was very clear. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. very, very clear. Um, and I don't know. I think, I think... I just, yeah, looking at that, those are like the very cliche things. But I think also if I think about more of the quiet moments, I just had, I just had this very, very 
clear understanding. And I remember being very, very young and having this very clear understanding that I was, uh, I'm not say a woman because I was a kid, but I felt like this feeling of like a feminine spirit and being, Mm -hmm. you know, being that. And then it wasn't until I remember someone had to explain what, you know, what boys were and what girls were. Then I was just like, but that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. That don't make sense because that's not who I am. But I was, you know, you're a kid and you shrug your shoulders and you go back to like, playing video games or whatever and so you know i went back to being a kid but i just remember very distinctly like "Uh, doesn't really make sense but i'll come back to it (laughs) i think i'll Mm -hmm. I'll come back to it later came back to it in my you know late 20s but um but no i feel like i always had this very clear understanding i remember having a very and it is cliche i know it sounds so cliche but it it is that's how i experienced and i know a lot of trans people say the same thing maybe not all but yeah what was your first experience with like uh, a trans person maybe coming into your life oh, or meeting my, a trans? My first trans friend and family mm-hmm. member um, is, oh my God, a legend. My good, 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 good friend, sister, mother, uh, Natasha Liz. She uh, went to college with us um, and she started her transition like right out the gate. And so I got to see the process of like everything that she went through. And I was just, you know, we were also in awe of her and she was gorgeous and she was hilarious. Um, And so that was my first like trans, like sibling, I guess. And like a mentor in a way, Um, but I hadn't even transitioned. I I didn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't transition until like I was in my late twenties. So, you know, it still took like several years and, along that time I made more trans friends and I had more trans people in my chosen family. But Mm -hmm. even then, like it took a lot of time to really understand fully who I was. Um, Even though I had a lot of trans people in my life by the time I was, by by the time I was 27, I started transitioning 26, 27. By then I had a lot of trans people in my life, but it still took that much time for me to really like claim it and own it. But Natasha was my first trans friend and idol. And she's to me, the blueprint of everything I want to be glamorous and hilarious and sexy and all those things so so when you're in journalism school and you drop you stop taking the journal or you stop being interested so much in journalism interested yeah yeah was that part of you not realizing really do you think if you had transitioned at that point by then you would have been i don't know more interested in writing i don't know i don't know i really i don't i don't really know um, like, it seems like the poetry and finding your voice really helped you because you said you're at the start of your transition at that point. Right. The writing does, it It fuels your transition, but you were already transitioning, weren't you? So, yeah, I, well, I started writing. I yeah. Started writing the poetry right out of college. Okay. So I was like 24, 24. But I it's didn't funny. start transitioning until I was like 25, 26, 27. Okay. Um, but the writing did help me because it, yeah. it gave me a mental space and a performative space yeah. to really start unpacking not just the gender shit, but my sexuality, my political stance, especially when it came to like how I view the world through what I like to think of as like re- very much a like a radical like need for like liberation. So yeah. that also helped me understand who I was. And so the writing helped unpack and unravel and unwind a lot. Of, I think the mental casing that I had allowed to be wrapped around my head for so long. Yeah. Um. So the writing helped and it definitely was a way 
for me to process um not just the, the transition but a lot of things and in doing so i be i think i became more in tune with with my gender yeah you know? it helps you like realize you become like a leader for your own self and you set a foundation of you start to understand yourself a bit better when you're right or putting poems and shit out there yeah well yeah and for me it was like also i'm writing these things i'm writing these pieces and in a way it is creating this world right it's creating mm -hmm. this world in your mind that you're going to share with people and hopefully you have something to say when you come out on the other side of it but i think for me opening myself up to creating these worlds helped me realize oh there's these other worlds i can create for myself as yeah. well that that's not just a poem it's the world that i want to embody and i want to live and also if i'm serious about these um these uh um these ideas of liberation why can't i liberate myself you know in yeah. that sense so i think yeah it definitely helped me it gave me it gave me a very safe safe harbor in my mind to be able to explore these things and then i think that's what helped me like you know make the decision and really start living the way i wanted want to live and how i was meant to live this entire time do you think the trans art artists community it's do you think it's very like very supportive of each other i don't know i found like a lot of people that were following you like the only people i knew they were probably they were mostly trans uh -huh. but it was also like people that i wouldn't think would be following you because of the art that you do i know yeah i i, I don't know it's so funny i was asked this question the other day like how do you how do you think people find your work and who do you think interacts with it and i honestly i have no idea i do think a lot of it is trans people specifically mm -hmm. trans women because i'm very honest and blunt about that's what i'm writing that's what i'm writing mm -hmm. for and that's yeah. why i'm writing right and i i love it when people who aren't trans women black or black and brown trans folks i love it when they interact with my work and they love it and they get to it. i think that's great but it's not for them it's mm -hmm. for my community and so that's why i write and who i write to so i think I think because I'm so explicit in that, I think that's why a lot of trans people, particularly trans women, um, interact with my work. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know, honestly. I'm still trying to understand that I, because I have performed in kinds of people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and some of the reactions I get are, are surprise me. Like I went on tour this spring. And we played some, we played uh, Oklahoma Honky Tonk. And granted, it was a gay yeah. country. It was gay country night. You know, Lavender Country was performing and I was opening for them. Um, so Where was I'm this at? In, oh, the Mercury Lounge in Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm from Tulsa. I live in Tulsa, so. Yeah, have you been to the Mercury Lounge? No, I haven't. Oh, gosh. What was it? Yeah, we were in, we were in Tulsa. We went to Tulsa. Nice. Yeah, I loved it. I loved Oklahoma. Oh, my God, we had a blast, but like. So, you know, it was gay, this gay country themed night and it was a honky tonk. It was, mm -hmm. it was a fabulous bar, but, um, you know, so like the gay country fans are there, but also there's like the regular crowd that goes there probably every day and sees mm -hmm. whatever act is there. And that was like, and I was shocked when like everyone was very receptive and was really like enthralled and really supportive of my work. So it always surprises me. It always surprises me. And I've also been in rooms where I've read in front of queer people that have stormed out because <laughs> they oh, didn't wow. like what I was saying. So Jesus. you know what I'm saying? Like, 
you know, gra- granted it was some gay white men, but still, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, I've been in spaces where like I've read things and the gay, the gays didn't like it. So it's so weird. It's so weird, yeah. but it, but it always does um, make me feel happy and glad. And I guess in a way, uh, uh, a testament that I'm doing the right thing when I do get to interact with queer folks and trans people in general and they are receptive and they really resonate with the work that to me is when i feel like okay i've succeeded in what i'm trying to do here have you sent any of your zines out to like publishers to be published like, no as a book? i you haven't need yet i need to i know i know i don't know i still maybe it's because of the tumblr brainwashing maybe it's because of the diy <laughs> punk scene i don't know i just i have such an aversion to interacting with mainstream like institutional institutions especially publishing houses but i am also i do want my work to reach more people so i know eventually i will have to and because the zines only go so far um Mm -hmm. so i don't know i haven't um that would be a great idea i would love to do that um but i don't know i still i have not gotten to that point yet where i'm just like okay i'm gonna be serious about putting this work in front of like these institutions mainly because like I've been doing it for so long and I've been, and I've been invited into so many spaces that, you know, very accomplished like writers and poets and performers are a part of them. Like, okay, I, I am performing on the same level of these people yeah, with way less, way less like bylines than them, obviously, but like the work speaks for itself. Yeah. You know, well, so. some of the publishing places, though, they are like DIY places. Yeah, they are. Oh, you mean like yeah, the zine publishers? Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be rad. Yeah. How do you know? I saw you interacting on Twitter with Joe. Mm. Um, How do you know them? Joe? Um, Joe and I were published in um, We Want It All. I don't know if you yeah. heard this. We Want It All. I have not heard K, uh, it was edited by Andrea Abi Karam and K Gabrielle. And Joe was uh, published in this, and Joe is good friends with K, who I'm good friends with. Oh. And so we start, started like following each other on the internet. But I actually met Joe for the first time in Chicago randomly on the bus. Oh, really? <laughs> I was nice. I was like, Joe, Joe. And they turned around. They were like, oh my God. Because I had like hit them up um, and told them, like, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. I'm moving here soon. We'd love to actually meet you in real life. And we, you know, we just haven't had time to actually plan a meetup or like mm-hmm. get to actually see each other in person. But I wasn't worried because I knew it was going to happen at the most random time. And it happened yeah. on the 72 bus in Chicago. <laughs> we were both well, cool going you- home from work. You got published in this book and you met someone through that. And I think yeah. that's a good experience for people to like if they send their work out and they get published in other places, they can meet and grow an audience and grow a community. Right. I mean, yeah, I think for me, most of the trans writers that I'm friends with or I consider, you know, people that I'm in community with, I have definitely interacted with either by being in the same space of them as some sort of artistic like like project or at readings where mm-hmm. we've been on the same bill or going to see other people um, that are queer and trans do their work and meeting them that way. So I feel I've always organically interacted with other trans artists that way, which I love, you know, I love and, and I love interacting with people, especially queer and trans people that are not poets, right. But are artists yeah. and how they are viewing their worlds through whatever medium they're exploring. I love it. I really do enjoy interacting with queer and trans artists. 
How do you? They, they teach me shit. You know, I'm not. I don't yeah. know everything. I get that. I learn from them too. Have you ever tried to uh, or like come up and book your own show with other artists? Invited would, other artists onto. Yeah, I've done that, and I did that, oh, you I did do? that for years in St. Louis. Wow, for years in St. Louis. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that. Who do you look like, for when you're looking to pick someone for one of your shows? Oh, for me, honestly, it's someone that like just like really leaves my mouth open. Mm-hmm. Like when I like see someone set, I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? Like that to me is like, that to me is like a red. That's like the green flag. I mean, like mm-hmm. okay, I want to work with this person at some point. But that's the thing. St. Louis has a lot of dope artists. Um, you know, there's not a lot of institutional backing for a lot of the like really dope dope work that happens there. But like the artist, the art is there and the inner creative energy is there. And so I felt very lucky that I honed my work as a performer in that space because mm-hmm. I got to perform alongside so many fucking incredible artists. Um, but yeah, for me, it was like for me, I think the test was always like if someone left me like really like shell shock with their work, regardless if it was poetry or performance art or music or whatever. Um, so that's kind of what I look for. Um, that's one of my creative goals being here in Chicago now is like trying to do that again but in a new obviously a new city new space and see how i can like like keep expanding that kind of work mm-hmm. um right now i am curating a series uh a reading series in chicago called transvengeance wow. and we we did our first one in november during trans remembrance week mm-hmm. and um and so that kind of concept was like you know if we're gonna be bringing awareness and to trans lives and doing these acts of remembrance for trans lives that have been lost, which is important. Mm-hmm. How can we also think about concepts of trans people taking vengeance yeah. or like all the harm psychologically that's been done to us, you know, yeah. either by the state or by, you know, the culture and also mm-hmm. the violence physically. Right. And the institutional violence. So it's like, what, what does that look like when we are using our, our, our creative energy to enact retribution of some sort and what yeah. even is that right you know is retribution just staying alive right and just surviving this bullshit is that yeah. you know you know for some people i'm sure it is i mean i can see that you know in a lot of ways so um it was really interesting so we started that we did the first one in november and we're going to do four um four over uh 2023 so we're going to do oh, one nice. in this we do one in the spring two in the summer and again have the last one be that we could trans trans remembrance week if you knew, if you knew the right people in publishing would you ever consider doing a magazine and having the people that you booked on shows put into a magazine oh that'd be you know you know if i were gonna do a, if i was gonna do a magazine it would it, i want to do something dope like yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be like it's going to be art. It's going to be porn. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be editorial. <laughs> it's going to be fashion. I would love that. That would be sickening. I would love that. But it, cool. it'd be like, yeah, I want it all. I want it yeah. all. I don't want, you know, I love poetry magazines, but I'm like, okay, I want some, I want some poetry. I want some porn. I want some yeah. fashion. I want some, I want some like surrealism. I want some, I want it all in there. So I would do something like that. I think that would be dope. Cool. That would be, that would be so cool. So when you're sitting down to write a poem, when do you know that you finished it? Like, what is your, when you sit down to write, what is, what are you trying to, what are you aiming for? You um, know? For me, if I'm thinking about when I know I'm done with it, um, it kind of just speaks to me. And it depends. Like there's, for me, there's a process of 
putting it all out there on the paper and knowing mm-hmm. that it's I'm done with it. And then there might be a second process of like, okay, I need to edit this. And that to me is more of like, okay, I'm tired of looking at this. It's done. Yeah. But, but the initial like purge is for me much more, it's, I hate, it sounds so tacky, but it is so spiritual to me. Like I just, I just know, right. It's just a voice and it's understanding like, okay, whatever's speaking through me is finished and this is what it is, but now I can sit down and edit it. I can rearrange it. Yeah. And, but that finishing for me is a little bit more technical. It's more like, okay, I'm tired of looking at this shit. Mm. I'm tired of looking at it. Like, yeah. like, you get sick of it, right? Yeah. yeah. You kind of get sick of your own work, even though no yeah. one else has seen it yet. Mm-hmm. You kind of get sick of it. And you're like, okay, I'm done. Hit print. And then it's over. And then the fun part is really getting to share it and perform it in front of people. But yeah. I kind of, you have to get sick of it first. <laughs> I kind of have to get tired of looking at it first. Do you ever craft it through the performances? um like you, you perform it, it first and then you go and write it sometimes it changes with the performance you know i like to see how things read and how what resonates and what hit what what lines hit certain marks mm-hmm. so sometimes it will change after a show but normally it's normally it's pretty much what i want when i perform it but it yeah. does I'm, i definitely leave room for that because there's then, times when i've performed something and i realize this worked or this didn't work and so I'll change it in the text, but um, it just kind of depends. And when you're writing it and you're sitting down, do you anticipate what you imagine audiences will react to? Not really. It's not until mm-hmm. I start. It's not until I start developing the performance, the, mm-hmm. the actual reading of it. But while I'm writing it, not not really. Okay. Yeah. So when you're writing it, you're just going off what you feel. I'm just, yeah, I'm going off what I feel and what I feel like I need to say. Um, I also write a lot on psychedelics. Like it, that is part of you my. You that helps, huh? You think that helps? Oh, for me it does. I mean, I'm not gonna say it helps for everyone. How so? Um, I just feel like it. It just opens this channel inside me to mm-hmm. just like really think of like ways that I can take the fragments of whatever the psychedelic experience is, right? and mm-hmm. turn it into something that I can describe yeah. through my work, right? <clears throat> or how I can relate it to what I'm trying to say with the piece. Um, and it's just, and it's fun. And yeah. <laughs> psychedelics are fun. <laughs> and they're just fucking fun. But no, I mean, I, I haven't written everything on the psychedelic, obviously, but some of my, like, real, some of the things I'm the most proud of came out of using psychedelics as a, as a tool as mm-hmm. a therapy tool but also as a writing tool so i've um, never done acid are you so you're able to know that you're sitting down and writing something while yeah. you're experiencing it right well they use the way uh, if i'm writing on acid um i usually will um just write with a pen and a paper mm-hmm. and i'll just let it come through me and then i'll sit back and when i've come off the trip then i'll go back through the shit and see what was what was worth keeping what wasn't but if you're sitting there are you like is your head somewhere completely else like in some dark space or like some field i don't know how that works uh well i mean you know it just dep- it depends right it depends yeah. on like how much you've taken um i've definitely had very intense trips where i've had the full-on experience the auditory and visual mm-hmm. expansive hallucination and that is really hard to write on, but it's doable. That's it's cool. doable. It's for me. It's more like okay, let me let me take a minute to like 
let the fucking trip happen and mm-hmm. then let me like stop it not you can't really stop it but like take a break from like being deep in it and then like let me focus on this page and like write some stuff down really quick and before i lose it and then yeah. go back into it a little bit um the summer i got bit was interesting because i did like two tabs of acid it was a very intense trip i was like oscillating between sobbing <laughs> Mm-hmm. dancing to sylvester doing poppers tripping writing just writing like a fiend going back and forth between the the notebook and my computer and then going doing the, all that over again the crying <laughs> the dancing <laughs> it was it was intense it was intense but it was uh but that's how i did that but i i would not suggest that to anyone because i was that was uh, very exhausting on my brain. It feels body. like a like a, a beatnik thing. Like maybe people would do like in the seventies or the fifties. Like oh, I could I, imagine yeah. them like that's the process of writing. It's like holding up in a hotel, doing drugs, and writing. I know. All day. I I know. I I really had my Ginsburg moment. It felt like your, yeah. your poetry does feel like Howl at points. Oh, thank you so much. No thank problem. you. Yeah, no, yeah, I had to, I had my Ginsburg moment because, um, you know, I just had a breakup, and I and I needed that. Uh, like I said, I'm a showgirl. I needed that dramatic. <laughs> I needed a dramatic scene, right? So like, I'm gonna do this acid, and I'm just gonna. And I I booked a really nice hotel room. I was like, if I'm gonna do this, it's gonna be at a nice boutique hotel and a king suite. Oh my god! But it was amazing. But I had, you know, it was just, you know, I don't know if it's beatnik or not, but. So it's, the some, next, it's up there. Do you think the next time that you sit down and write a big, like a, a zine or something, is it going to come after a, an emotional event like breaking up? Um. So the one I'm working on right now is, I guess it's kind of emotional. Um. So I finished the summer I got bit like 2020, uh-huh. like the summer of 2020, and it got published like at the end of the summer. Um. And, but during that time, I was still writing other stuff. Some of mm-hmm. it had to do with the breakup. Um, some of it didn't. A lot of it was very political. Um, a lot of it was um, very much rooted in my experiences as a trans woman. Um, and so, over the last over the last two years, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, and into twenty twenty two, I had been starting making this this mental and this actual like tangible plan to move. And mm-hmm. that was a big decision for me because St. Louis was my home for 12 years. I mean, I mean, I didn't grow up there. I grew up in rural Missouri um, in the middle of nowhere. So I am a country mm-hmm. girl. But, you know, St. Louis was became really my home, even yeah. though, you know, it really was my home because um, that's where I, I got my chosen family. Right. And so for me, chosen family is much, much more important than the other family. Right. Yeah. Because they're the ones that accept you. They're the ones that love you really unconditionally right so um st louis was my home and so it was a big deal for me to leave um and also as artistically it was a big deal because i'm like okay i'm going into a new scene i don't know anyone but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm not gonna stop doing what i'm doing so i'm just gonna have to like you know figure out how to do this art art as a work as an artist you know in a bigger city which i was also excited about um so i decided um to write this piece i didn't well I was just writing it little by little. Like I said, I was jotting stuff down in my phone and I just had Mm -hmm. this very long document that was just, again, more of this kind of stream of consciousness kind of writing that I always do. Um, And so over the last two years, I started to realize, oh, this is really like a goodbye poem to St. Louis. 
Um, And so this summer I sat down and did the line edits. I did a lot of line edits on it and like got it like structured the way I want to. Um, And so it's almost done. I got a little bit more I need to write on it, but that'll be the next one. Um, And Mm. I guess, I mean, it is kind of emotional. Um, It's a little bit more like a moment of like, you know, saying my piece about St. Louis, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, But at the end of the day, I, I knew I wanted to write a goodbye letter, goodbye poem for that whole experience in my life because it was a very important part of my life 12 years there you know two relationships you know a whole new body and a whole new gender (laughs) a whole new name Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know becoming an artist there making like you know family and lifelong friends there so yeah so it was it's you know it was a big part of my life so that's kind of what it's called uh it's called um the name of the piece is called goodbye to a dream believed and it's my goodbye poem to st louis so that's actually what i'm working on right now that's um Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of fueled by like, you know, that big kind of kind of moment of being like, okay, I'm making the decision to enter a new phase of my life and a new chapter of my life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is kind of like, you know, what spurred that. And so I but I don't know if I need a big moment for everything. I don't think I need a big moment for everything, but it it helped, but it helps. Yeah. (laughs) So what what led to the decision to move to Chicago? It sounds like it was pretty big decision yeah um there's a lot of things um was it the breakup uh i think the breakup definitely was one of them you know you know i think uh you know when you go through a big breakup it's always good to like you know get a new start of some somehow you know people do a lot of things and i was like you know i kind of want to you know i want a new location the other part was uh the last two years it, it actually started happening before covid but like right before covid um, a lot of like long-standing like St. Louis artists and creative people were leaving the city, you know, because wow. like I said, like uh, even though St. Louis has a lot of great things about it, you can be a full-time artist there and really survive because it's very cheap to live there. The mm. rent is incredibly cheap. You have a lot of opportunity for space, physical space, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have to be like an artist in New York and doing your work in a tiny 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 room right yeah. every day like you can have space and so that i mean not i mean some people work better that way some people don't but like for me um, and i think a lot of people in st louis particularly it does help facilitate a lot of creative work when you don't feel like you are confined um so that's really cool but the downside is that you can definitely make your living and survive as a working artist in st louis but there's only so much room that you can go, right? There's yeah. not a lot of institutional support for artists, especially independent creative artists, especially experimental artists in that town. Yeah. So, so um, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have to make the decision, like, am I happy with maintaining this level of, like, like you know, success? Or do I want to try to get more out of this? Um, and part of me was like, I want, I want to try to get more out of it. I want to, you know, expand my reach and expand my voice. And also people were leaving because they were, I feel like they were experiencing the same things I was experiencing, just that lack of opportunity and that lack of like institutional support to keep doing what you want to do in your home base. So people are like, we're slowly going in different directions. And then when COVID happened and the quarantine and the pandemic started, that's when a lot of people really started to be like, okay, no, there's no reason to be here. Cause obviously no one knew what was going to happen. 
yeah. in 2020. So everyone yeah. was, a lot of people I think were like, well, if no, if we don't know what's happening, um, I can be somewhere else if, if I'm going to have a level of uncertainty and instability. So a lot of people started leaving St. Louis for that reason. When things started to level out, I think a lot of people continued to leave because they just kind of felt like it was, there was, they had done everything they had needed to do in St. Yeah. Louis. Um, and so that's kind of also how I felt. So when I did really made the decision to leave, leave, um, that, that whole process of creatives and artists, uh, migrating outside of St. Louis had gotten to a point where like, I was kind of looking around in some of these communities and scenes I had been a part of for so long, really, really looked completely different. And that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like creative community always changes. Nothing stays yeah. the same. There's you waves. Know, it, yeah. There's waves, of course. And that's a, I think that's a great thing. But I, when I really asked myself about it, I was like, do I have it in me to help build up a whole new arts community a fourth time? You know, I had seen these communities come and go in St. Louis. I'm over 12 years, of course. Yeah. But I'm like, do I really, especially coming out of the breakup and coming out of the Trump administration, coming out of the pandemic and then going into a new one? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, do I have, do I have, the capacity and the energy to build up this community here uh, once again, mm -hmm. or would I rather in, like integrate myself in something else and see what I can get out of that? And I came back with the decision. I, I want to see what I can get out of a new environment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that's another reason why I think for me, which do you feel safer in any, in St. Louis or Chicago? Um, I mean, say being, trans. being trans, you know, it's so interesting. Um, I feel probably it's that's just so I don't know, honestly. Like, I'm fucked up shit happens in St. Louis, and fucked up shit happens in Chicago, fucked up shit happens on the east and the west coast, you know, mm -hmm. very liberal places. Um, I think I have developed just a sense of like trying to, um, be as like you know i don't know how to say this just i just let things like you know i just go through life and just figure out i don't know i figure out where to go from there it's hard to talk about safety as a trans woman because really? i'm not i think so because it's like like the thing the levels of the things that i do to make sure that i'm safe not every person wants to do or can do like what um i mean for me particularly like I very much try to lean into being as like like femme and passable as I can. Mm -hmm. And I even hate the word passable, but like, you know, I don't want to be like perceived as like, you know, anything else just so I can just get from point A to point B with no problems. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So but that's not you know, it shouldn't have to be that way. People should be able to be whoever they want to be. Yeah. You know? Um yeah. So I mean I personally try to like like embody as much of that as I can. Um, but, but it, I think in St. Louis, like I never honestly felt unsafe as a trans mm -hmm. woman in St. Louis. Um, since I've been in Chicago, I've never felt unsafe either, but you know, I'm also, you know, in a specific kind of like, you know, body that some people does other people don't have. Right. And, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be as scrutinized in police as other people um especially you know i'm not a black trans woman so i'm you know i'm not gonna be like 
targeted as heavily, right? And that's a privilege I have. Um, and, you know, just not being, being, even though I am a person of color and I'm brown, like, I know that I can still move through spaces that other people of color can't. You know, and so the levels of privilege that I have over someone, I think, has kept me a little bit safer. Um, but, yeah, it's it sucks. It sucks because, you know, I have seen so many of my trans girlfriends go through a lot of fucked up bullshit um, because they've had to, you know, do what they have to do to survive. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it comes out of, like, you know you know, having to do sex work. And there's some of it, it has nothing to do with sex work. Some of it is just like being trans and minding your own business and then mm -hmm. people harassing you on the bus, you know? So it's just yeah. like, it's just, it's like fucked up regardless. Um, so yeah, but yeah, being safe as a trans person, it's like, there are, there are like, there are like things you have to like compromise, I think for your safety that you shouldn't have to compromise. Um, which sucks. Do you ever hear of something that happened to one of your friends and it makes you more paranoid after hearing the news? Um, I don't know. It's I don't, too vague. I think it's a little vague, but but I mean, I've I've seen so many acts of both like like random. Mm -hmm. Um, hang on, my phone is gonna die. Let me plug it in. So I'm about to take out these headphones, so hopefully you can still hear me. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. You're good. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, I've seen so many acts of, like, not just, like, random, like, acts of violence, but, like, so much institutional violence. Like, you know, so I don't think I'm paranoid. I don't think it makes me paranoid. If anything, it confirms what I've always believed is, like, the, the, the institutional powers and the state really, really has an interest in controlling not just our minds and our bodies, but like our identities mm -hmm. so that it can justify the ways it criminalizes us, the way it uh, surveils us, the way it like keeps us from, um, you know, gaining the true power that we have in order to really like have a really just society. It'd rather us be encompassed into this machine of like labor and yeah. violence so, I mean, that, it doesn't make me paranoid. If anything, it confirms, you know, yeah. what, you know, I already know about this country and the way that our culture interacts with trans people, particularly trans, the black people and trans brown people and trans women. Mm -hmm. Do you want to read a little bit of from the summer I got bit? You want me to read from the summer I got bit? Sure. Okay, I got five years. <laughs> She's somewhere down here. Oh, is this it? Oh, hey, what's up? There you go. <laughs> is it a book? Huh? You have like a real book of it? Yeah, it's, this is the zine. So yeah, so this is, let me show you. So yeah, this is the first one. For the wow. wagon right here, yeah. I did, I printed like, there's, I only printed like, God, there's like maybe a hundred copies of this. And How do you print it? I had them printed in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. you knew someone. Huh? You knew someone or you had your own Yeah, friend? there's like a lot of small, like there's some really cool like independent like print shops in St. Louis. And then there's a lot of people that do zines in St. Louis too. So I just kind of asked around like, okay, well, who do y'all use for your, for your How much did it cost? Huh? How much did it cost to get a hundred of those? This one cost, this was very basic because, you know, it's just, you know, white car stock and then it's all black and white, you know. Um, and so this one cost, 
God, this was like less than $300 for about 100 copies. That's still expensive. This was closer to 400 for 200 copies. Jesus. That's a lot. Yeah. It should be cheaper. But I, yeah, it should be cheaper. It should be cheaper. You're right. But um, so I printed 200 copies of this. These also all sold out. But this also had a little bit more artwork. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you saw the PDF. Yeah. Yeah, so you saw that all the artwork and all the collage stuff. So, um, so I'm kind of trying to develop the aesthetic for the new one. Um, so I haven't I haven't gotten to design yet, but I'm working on that too. Um, but yeah, when do you think that'll be out? Huh? When do you think that'll be out? I want it to be um, out um, by the spring of 2023. Okay. So I'm going to use the next couple months to finish uh, the line edits and finish writing it mm -hmm. um, and refine it a little bit and then get it designed. And then that's going to get another limited printing. Um, and then I have my, I'll do a show. I'll do a full stage reading of it at some point. Cool. But I want to premiere it in St. Louis. Um, okay. What should I read from this? What should I read? There was a line I really liked. It was like Midnight, Moonlight, Bit. Oh, yeah. That's from the, I think that's in the beginning. I always like to read, I actually like to read, sometimes I like to start from part three. Okay. Whenever you can choose whatever you want. Okay. Um. So, yeah. Disco sisters sell pussy in tubs and toll road booths. Tell you tea for another gender. Soft cunt like the bellies of snow crabs nesting off the rotten shore. Sick of all the drug lips. Sick of all the bleach stains. She mails at the bar nesting for men with fat cocks and fat necks and fatter lies to be told. Pull up and deep throat them with holy sucking prayers like mother used to. Know this pussy you've been searching across the stillness of mass genocides for was meant for you. Kiss your man one last time and believe it was all worth it. Bend the silk print fibers of your mortal coil and know you were here once before. And if he never holds you again, just blow them so far horns and smoke the gods out on sticky white widow owl blunts. You will mourn, you will wail, you will sing and you will disco but you won't be joining your sisters anytime soon. Your disco heap has another song to sing, another summer to swell, another ghost to recognize. And while you're alive, you will honor them all and suck on life till sunrise. Part four. This is your new tranny world and she males rule her now. Pump these pussies with pennies and rabbit hole crocodile skin. My sisters have seen what slithers before them. They can hear the soul haunting crows of skull birds. They see the bullet clouds. They smell the rat's nest. They know because it has come for them before. It has held spiteful tongues against their temples and wrapped their necks with spiked horn reptile hemicocks as they've woken up in ditches and in overflowing tubs, vast in the blissful horror that the abyss does exist in the darkest of penthouse hotel rooms. While the shadows of empire are lit on our faces, where will you be when it comes for you and people you love? Will you take a gun or a knife or a song and deny all this? 
Will you betray every American flag? Will you be inside out on cameras? Can you hear the many chirps of wire in the brain? Do you know how this eats at my pelvis like some wound you get to canonize? Drape your love's frailty in jaguar silk blood sports. Marble mineral spider lilies are part of our brains now. Orchids are our breasts. My cum is bitter cocaine tears. My nights full of bareback broken deals and adulterous bathroom glass mirrors. Know your worth and it shall cradle your nail scratched neck. Be right with it and the stench of death will be your guide. Blow this fucking nation to hell and back and it will be your monstrous afterlife. Can you recite the summons of holy mother goddesses taken too soon? Do you know their transgressive names? Chanel, Kiki, Sandra, Selena, Gia, Lala, Montgomery, Malaysia, Paris, Peppa, Dewana, Asia, Lorena, Candy, Kiwi, Bailey, Monica, Tanya, Montrese, Pebbles, Dakota, Cecilia, Leslie, Fever Baby, Sweet Thang. I dance under these lights for them. I feel real for them. I conjure their memories on this riverbed. I honor the feet they danced with. I honor the lips they loved with. I honor the hips they fucked with. I honor the discos they bled with. Bread with. I honor the meat they bled with. I honor the tits they summoned with. I honor the nipples they saw with. I honor the dicks they wept with. I honor the mothers laid laid to rest with, and I honor the daughters they grave digged with. And the beat goes on, and the beat goes on, and the beat goes on. Nice. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. So when you're writing that, are you in, you're invoking a character? Yeah, I do kind of invoke a character. It feels like it's very true. Um, It's like America were a drag house and you're like the mom of the drag house. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I kind of, I guess the the character persona, I kind of call her the Oracle, this transsexual goddess Oracle. I don't know. That's just kind of the only way I can describe her. And she is kind of this like, um, this Oracle that kind of like, has harnessed all these lifetimes, right? Mm. That humanity has gone through. And the remaining factor is she has always been here because trans people have always been here. And transsexual Mm. women, trans women in particular, have always been here. So she's just like this, this, this continuum, right? Of all these trans femme lives that have been lived, um, and lived in all sorts of ways, right? Then in, in the dark, like I said, in the darkest pits of the abyss, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To the most glorious, right? Stages, right? Because that's, you know, trans people, we embody and have lived all of these experiences. And so she kind of appears and invokes these, what I like, I guess I consider them these rites or these prophecies um, and these like kind of these pull, this pulling back of the curtain, right? This taking off of the mask of like, what we actually are living under when it comes to capitalism and white supremacy and you know and like this neoliberal like sense of like just like draining all of us right um and so it's she's just really taking the mask off of all of it and showing it all right in this kind of like very theatrical dramatic classic transsexual glamorous way (laughs) 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. yes, that is actually you're right. There is a character that I that I try to put slip on when I'm performing performing the work. And when you're on stage, are there like lights and shit going I, on? Or yeah, you just I, try to, I try to have like different kind of lights. I like to have like, you know, like lights present. I like to have projection. Um, I also have been doing, uh, I sometimes I have like a little installation where I take a very large disco ball mm-hmm. and like surround it with different things. Like cool. when I did the stage presentation and I read the full poem of the Wagons A. Harriet, um, my trans mother, Van Barnes, um, had gifted me like years worth of her um, antiretroviral HIV medication bottles and her estrogen bottles. Mm-hmm. So I made this mound of pill bottles surrounding the um, disco ball. Oh, wow. So it's like this, like, kind of like it's this, like, piece of like installation, I guess, sculptural art or whatever on stage. And then um, I had like, like this huge high heel chair that I sat on and read on and oh, that was cool. hilarious. Um, so like I try to create this like set, right. With the projection happening or lights happening. Um, when I did the summer, I got bit. Um, I had the disco ball again, but we built, we had like chicken wire wrapped around it and put all these flowers around it. So cool. all the flowers were growing up around the disco ball. Wow. Um, and that was really dope. And then, uh, so that was kind of the stage installation for that. Um, but yeah, I like to have something. I like to be performing on stage with something. If I'm doing like my, my full show, obviously if I'm a guest for someone's show, I might not do all that. I might just show up in a fabulous gown and do some drag work, you know, have them, you know, read and like press play, DJ pump the beat. And then I do a little drag number. But if I'm doing my own show and I'm like, you know, I do like to have this like world set up. Yeah. Um, where like um and i'm kind of envisioning for the next one like uh i definitely like sex is a very very also a big part of my work i'm mm. very like i'm a very sexual person um i talk about like sex very explicitly in my work um so i want to kind of like invoke that in the next stage performance for goodbye to a dream believe um because uh i had a lot of sex in st louis <laughs> I had a lot of fucking great and bad sex in St. Louis. So I kind of want to bring that to the stage. So I'm thinking about having like, um, I want to have this um, scene set up where like it was like one of my apartments, how my apartment looked in St. Louis, like Mm -hmm. a bed and like a little desk and a mirror and everything. And um, so I want like like, a lot of bisexual lighting happening on stage. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) You know, the bisexual. So maybe having that. Um, and yeah, so I kind of want to have that like little moment, but yeah, I like to have projection. I like to have lights and I like to have like, you know, kind of like this, like I said, like, I like to build a world because like the, the, the pieces, especially these two, you know, the very long form ones, you know, it is kind of building this world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, and just like I read in the summer, I got built bit like, um, this is your new training world and she males rule her now. Like this is a world of trans imagination and like you're invited to come in and like explore it but that's what it's going to be it's not going to be any diluted for anyone's comfort yeah um so that's what i like to do i think when it comes to like building that that's the physical manifestation i can do to help aid like the imaginative like manifestation that people will get when they hear the work being performed yeah earlier you said about you had a drag mother do you have a drag family Oh no, I don't have a drag. I have a trans mom. Oh, trans a mom. Trans mother. 
okay, so you know it's a little difference? bit different you know drag families or ball families you know they're all they're they're our chosen family but yeah. they're very much ingrained into you know the the Art. subculture of drag performance yeah. or you know vogue you know ball performances yeah um, and a lot of, and then but then you know there are other forms of trans families that are not that like that do overlap you know there's a lot of overlap in ball and drag and other forms of life but um my particular trans mom um her name is van barnes she she's she is an artist too but she uh but she's not a she's not like a drag artist mm -hmm. you know so she but she is a trans artist um so she was she's kind of like my my trans mother she's like definitely one of the first people to like clock me when i before i transitioned and was like no you're trans like it's just accepted so that's and she's a wow. good friend too um and she's older you know she's like she's a, she's uh in her like 40s and she's lived a full life you know she did the whole thing she did the sex work in the 90s you know in a brothel in new york city like she did wow. all of that she she detransitioned and then retransitioned you know wow and, yeah she's done it all she's done it all and she survived it right and so you know she definitely is someone that i look up to and i admire um because she's lived the life that um that really helps aiding in like you know, raising a trans mm -hmm. child, particularly a trans daughter, uh, and really just telling me like, you know, keeping it real with me and keeping me accountable and but also encouraging me as an mm -hmm. artist and you know, letting me know when I'm doing what I'm doing is good like it's working and when it's right, but also let me know like girl, you might want to reconsider this, you might you know, but you know, that's what you know parents do, right? Yeah. Um so that yeah, that's my trans mom. And she's just, you know, she's a part of my chosen family. That's how to be pretty powerful to hear that from a trans, another trans person that's older than you that you are trans. Yeah. What was that like that moment? Oh God, it's, I've, it's happened a couple times to me um, right before I transition. But you know, when it happened to me before I transition, yeah, it was. It is kind of jarring and shocking, mm -hmm. and it, it is kind of like this, like you know, the sense of being like. I know something about you that you don't even know. And it, it is a shock, but it never made me feel bad. I never felt bad about it. I never felt like, like uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. it did give me, but it gave me enough pause for me to be like, okay, we're going to revisit that. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was a kid and they tried to tell me I was a boy, I was like, you know what? We're, we will revisit it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I did, we did revisit it several times throughout my life. So I was kind of like one of those moments where like, we'll revisit this and i revisited it on an acid trip and that's when i decided oh, nice. to transition. so that do you have a trans daughter i do have a trans child yes nice yes i do have a trans child um she's 23 so she's younger than me um and she's so smart and so talented and she's way more mature than i was at 23 but she's um she's amazing so she's been like my little trans baby for the last couple of years cool so yeah. I guess I'll I'll let you go. Yo, you gonna let me go? You don't like asking no more questions? I mean <laughs> let's see. I'm I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking right now. I mean I could ask darker questions, but Yes, let's yes, let's yes, darker shit. Let's okay, so like <laughs> have you had any friends that have passed away? Oh I had any yes, I have had some friends that have passed away, yeah. Can you um, tell their story? Yeah. Um Speak, we're talking about people that clocked you before you mm -hmm. clocked yourself. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the writer Bryn Kelly. 
No. But she's uh she was she's a late writer. Um she was in New York. She's a very she was a very influential Twitter, or not Twitter, sorry, Tumblr writer back when Tumblr was like really, really fresh. Um and she wrote um two blogs under pseudonyms. Um one was called um uh, Party Bottom, the sexy HIV positive <laughs> blog, <laughs> where she wrote about like, you know, what it's like living with HIV as a trans woman, right, in New York City. And the other one was called The Hussy, which mm-hmm. The Hussy was like so fucking before its time. It was so amazing. It was as if Carrie Bradshaw was like this very like, 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 um, uh, like bitchy, but fabulous, glamorous, transsexual woman that mm-hmm. only dated trans men. <laughs> like, she was like, if Carrie from Sex and the City was like writing those kind of columns as a trans, as a T for T, like mm-hmm. sex and dating and relationships in New York, that's kind of what it was, but it was way more snarky than fucking Sex and the City. It was way so was it like Cat Marnell? Huh? Was it like Cat Marnell's? Kind of. It was, yeah, it was kind of like that kind of style of writing. Like, you know, that kind of, kind of like snarky, very, like that very like, you know, like sharp, dark sense of humor, but also like, you know, real shit, you know, and like what it's like being like young in New York and like fucking and dating and relationships. And it was called the hussy. Um, but it was, she was all, she only dated trans men. Brenna only had relationships with trans men. So it was, it was a very, very T for T blog. It was hilarious. Um, and so Bren and I were fellows in 2013 at the Lambda Literary, um, emerging writers fellowship oh cool how'd you get that i have i applied nice i applied yeah i just applied um and that was the year samuel delaney was my instructor for the fiction like cohort and bryn um was in the non-fiction cohort and um sarah shulman was her instructor um so that was a really cool year. And that's, that's when I met a lot of cool trans and queer writers and really started to make those relationships. Um, but anyway, so Bryn was there. And I remember meeting Bryn like the first day we get to campus. And Bryn was, Bryn was someone that literally had the aura of the most immaculate aura you probably would ever witness on someone. Like, you know those people, the moment you meet them and like, everyone is attracted to them like Mm -hmm. moths to a flame like they just can't help but want to be in this person's like sphere you know and that was Bryn like literally everyone like from the moment you met her you just wanted to be her best friend you wanted to be like a puppy dog everyone was a puppy dog (laughs) (laughs) because she was so smart and so fucking hilarious and just so like so fucking like sharp um but anyways uh, I met I meet her very briefly, and I'm like, oh my god, who's this bitch? This bitch is fucking fabulous. Like she's so fabulous. Um, and so you know, I was like really intimidated, and so I found myself sitting with her while she was smoking a cigarette one night, like that first night, and I'm like just out here, like you know, meeting people, and she was sitting by herself, and so I sat down with her to like you know talk to her and get to know her, and you know she's smoking a cigarette and she's talking to me about her life um you know in new york and you know she starts talking about like you know as starts talking about i think um i think her medic her uh, medical regimen i think she was talking like somehow she brought up like her um her hiv like regimen like with her antiretroviral or something and how that interacted with 
her hormones or something like that. And then she starts talking more depth about hormones, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, the HRT. And she just casually looks at me. She said, she's like, oh, but, you know, when you start hormones, it, it'll all make sense to you, too. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? Nice. <laughs> when I start hormones, she, like, she, she just said it so, so casually, so casually, so matter-of-factly. She's like, yeah, when you start hormones, you, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And I was like, what? <laughs> when I start hormones? And but she was right. She was so fucking right. Um, um, she did. She passed away um, in 2016 um, yeah. from suicide. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she, she passed away from suicide. And that was a really devastating blow for a lot of people. Uh, queer and trans people that were in her community because Brynwa also was uh, an artist and a person that like like I said moths to a flame she had community all over the country like like I like all over the fucking country when she passed it was like a very big deal especially for trans people um, mm-hmm. that knew her and she knew it felt like she knew every fucking trans person in the fucking country but she, obviously she didn't but that's what it felt like when she yeah. passed um but she did she had a lot of community and people looked up to her and people had followed her work for you know through tumblr and so it was really devastating when she passed away um and so that's why i dedicate the wagons to her like she you know i say in the dedication this poem is dedicated to all the holy mothers and holy daughters and holy sisters and holy femmes and holy bodies that have given me the power and courage to find these words. And for Bryn, who saw me before I saw myself. So I dedicated wagons to her um, because she really was kind of like, you know, someone that I looked up to as a writer um, and an artist and, you know, definitely as a friend and all like, you know, she was so supportive of my work and we kept in touch. And one of my biggest regrets is like, you know, not going up to New York to like spend some physical time with her before she passed away. Cause you know, we had talked about that, but I just didn't never made it up there. But, um, but yeah, but that also was a situation where I kind of understood like her death was also a, a death of like these circumstances of the, our society, you know, oh, yeah. when, you know, when you have, when you're dealing with poverty, when you're dealing with um, addictions or you're dealing with mental health issues, like, and you're dealing with being, you know, trans and, you know, HIV mm-hmm. positive and, you know, dealing probably with multiple traumas. Like this, the system is really built to like keep you as traumatized as possible, you know? And so mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, the, these systems were also culpable, you know, for her yeah. death, you know, um, in a lot of ways, um, which sucks. But, you know, I'm hoping that like, at least with the work that I do, I'm hoping that, you know, speaking like this truth to these fucked up powers yeah. in a way helps fucking chip away at it little but little little by little but you know have you ever it, thought about writing a poem where you're you're the oracle and you're talking to a younger trans self oh i never thought about that Might like be creative. My trans self yeah maybe or any young trans person I sort of giving them the rules the right? rules of the road not the rules but you know what you've yeah been no yeah that would that's a that would be a great idea for a poem mm-hmm. that would be a great idea for a poem i haven't written that poem yet but maybe i should it'll come it'll come I, honestly honestly you know like 
so much of my like I said, so much of my work is like very radical. It's very in your face. It's very raw. It's rowdy. It's explicit. Yeah. But I want. I do have the desire. At one day, I want to be at so much peace with myself that I write like these nature poems. <laughs> I want to write nature poems. I want to write haikus about like you know fucking like some crazy particular species of plant that only lives in one part of the fucking world like i mm-hmm. really i love nature so i have i want to expand you know my writing and i know that it will come eventually but i i can't wait for the day where i'm like writing like nature nature poems have you I read tommy nature. i love nature writing have you read tommy pico's book yes i love tommy pico nice so who tommy, are your who's some of your favorites at lambda Oh, he was? Yeah, Tommy was there that year. So I met Tommy and I became friends with Tommy that year. Was that the year like he formed the his podcast friends? It was before that. It was, oh, okay. It was, it was before that. He had just, he had, um, oh my God. What was so you it? met him. Huh? You met him. Yeah, I met, yeah. Nice. We were, yeah, we were, um, Tommy was in the poetry cohort of Lambda that year. I was in the fiction. Bryn was in nonfiction. Um, but I mean, it, we all partied and all hung out and all kikied every night together. So mm-hmm. I got to know Tommy that year, and I that's I awesome. Work. I love Tommy's work. So who are some of some other writers that you really enjoy, or some of your influences? Um, right now I've been reading um, Juliana Huxtable's Mucus in My Pineal Gland. I've always been a big Juliana Huxtable fan since Tumblr days, so I really love her writing. Um, Tommy, obviously, we love Tommy Pico. Um, Kay Gabrielle, I just got her new book. I've always loved Kay's writing. Um, uh, uh, one of my good friends, Maurice Tracy, is an amazing fucking writer, and I need them to get a bigger platform because people need to hear their work. Like, so, um, I love Maurice Tracy. Um, uh Dimian Dineyatsi is a good a collaborator in front of mine and I love their work. Um I mean I love the old school I love the old school too. I'm a big James Baldwin fan. Mm-hmm. Love fucking James Baldwin to death. Um I love William S. Burroughs. Like I when I first read his work that really changed the way I wrote poetry. Um so yeah, those are just something I guess those are like some of my favorites right now. So Tommy Pico, he went on and wrote for a show. Res Res Dogs, right? yeah, Res Dog. yeah. Would you ever consider writing a script? You know what? I, that's on my bucket list. I want to write some sort of like screenplay. I don't know what it would be, but like, yeah, I have like other artistic goals, and I think I think I'll always write poetry. I think mm-hmm. I, I think I will always be, write poetry, and I will always want to perform it. Mm-hmm. and a performance poet like i think that's never going to change but i want to i can see myself wanting to take like an artistic i guess vacation in a way into yeah. a different medium and i would love like i said i would love to do nature writing i would love to write poems about fucking nature that have nothing to do with cum or drugs or fuckers yeah. <laughs> or any of that yeah. i would love to write a screenplay i would love to fucking write a screenplay that's always what? been awesome things to do too is there any media out there right now that you're like, oh, this is this totally represents me and gets everything right? Um, is there any media out there? Yeah, like song like, or movies like, or TV. Oh my god! Well, I mean, I think, I think 
I think there's a lot of great like content out there, especially content that's being like, like, you know, made by trans folks. Um, but I think the cool thing about it is not all of it is tr like, I think the best stuff like that out there isn't trying to make the trans experience like a one all, like this is how it is for all of us. Yeah. I think look, having a window into a random trans person's life and seeing how, how, you know, how different it can be from yours is really great. Um, but also seeing how like all the little banal things that we all go through are so like tied to all of our you know lives. So I'm trying to think if I've seen anything that kind of represents that. Oh, you know what I saw recently? Um, I think it's called, it's called Sort Of on Maybe. HBO. I don't Man. know. Oh my God. It's, it, I think it's called Sort Of. Um, and it's about this, uh, it's about this, um, uh, like, uh, non-binary femme trans person. It's a Canadian show. And mm -hmm. like, it's like a comedy and it's just kind of like about their lives being a nanny to these kids and mm -hmm. like, like, but also being young and like dealing with relationships and like friendships and it's hilarious. And like that kind of trans life is very much different from mine. But I love that, like, that series because it was very, it was very particular to this person's experience and it was smart and it was funny and it didn't, and it didn't make the transness like a special thing. Like it was just, just a given, you know, okay. like in their, uh, in their, the way that they interacted with people in their relationships. Um, there is kind of a storyline with like that person's like family um like kind of coming to terms and coming out to them but like again that's not even the focus either you yeah. know and so i like i enjoyed that i appreciated that because it was like you know i don't we don't need a trans coming out story for every single thing yeah it you know um and trans people can be uh sloppy and like funny and like you yeah. know and and awkward you know like that was the thing about the show i really liked was this character was like all these brand like things right and it just was hilarious and i was like i, I enjoyed seeing that so do you think in trans content and trans media there's too many coming out stories i mean i think i think it's getting i think we're getting to a point where we're trying to explore different concepts of transness which is good but yeah. i think for so long yes a lot of it is that or the trans story of like fatality right like this person's life is so sad and tragic you know they can't live to see the credits right so it's like yeah. you know it's like does depressing. it really have to be that sad and depressing or that like you know like cliche about like coming out so i think it's slowly getting better i think the best trans kind of writing and content is coming from independent like writers and yeah. like directors that i've seen i think once it gets to like i think a lot of the mainstream stuff gets very and it's, it's very like convoluted in a lot of like you know cliche storylines i mean granted i did love pose even you know pose was a great like you know like show but even mm -hmm. pose had its limitations because you know i don't think like i don't think the people in charge of that were ever gonna let the writers really really go too far with that you know mm -hmm. And we, you know, it ended after three seasons, you know, for no real reason. So, yeah. like, it was kind of like, you know, like a validated, validated, like, perception. Like, okay, they're only going to let us tell so much of our trans stories. So, like, 
if there's a time limit, you got to pack as much as you can. But it's like, it would be great to have someone give some, a trans person the platform to have that space and time to really explore a trans existence and a trans life and trans dreams. Um, and so that they could, you know, really build, like I said, or build a world around it and a storyline behind it that would that it would be interesting, engaging, and that someone would want to watch. Um, but, you know, I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. So I, that's why I think a lot of the cool work is coming from the underground and the independent scene. Where do you think you would be if you weren't writing, if you never started writing? Where do I think like I would performing. be if I started writing? And performing, yeah. Performing? Oh, my God. I don't, I do not want to think about that. Now, that is a dark question. <laughs> I'd still be at the Bed Bath & Beyond. I'd still be working retail. So it's so enriched in your life, in your journey. You can't even, like, imagine. I can't even imagine it. Yeah. I mean, I would probably be working some bullshit mall job like I was doing right before. I probably, I would be hating my life every day, probably. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I chose the poet path. But that yeah. was, that's dark. That you're right. It was gonna get dark. <laughs> it was gonna <laughs> get Sorry about that. No, you're fine. But no, I mean honestly, I I can't imagine because like my life has been so enriched by doing the work that I do, mm -hmm. and it's been so enriched because it's been it's been like supported. I've been very blessed and lucky to have people uh, cheerleading for me and supporting me every step of the way, even when I was reading really bad poems at open mics. You know this mm -hmm. thing word and that support or that invitation to come read at my their event or their little good thing that they're doing their series and then that leading to more connections and more support and more encouragement so i mean i've just been i feel very blessed that i've had that like that opportunity to feel very like supported in my work have you run have you come across any chasers in the uh poetry community oh it's trading chasers yeah, any chase. <laughs> I have. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have. Um, I in the poetry community. I don't think about the poetry community, but in probably like the wider like arts community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was very popular in St. Louis for those reasons, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Yeah. But no, I don't know. I mean, there's chasers everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's chasers everywhere, baby. They're everywhere. What's the obnoxious thing a chaser can do? Oh my god, the most you want to know the most obnoxious thing that they can do? Yeah. Oh my god. I think for me, the most obnoxious thing that they can do is like the um, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it on Grinder too, is like the like the like the log of hi, hi, hello, good morning, hi beautiful, hi sweetie, how you doing, gorgeous? What's going on? I'm eating lunch today. And it's just like, you've not responded to any of these mm -hmm. And you're just like, what? You cannot take the hint. I'm not responding yeah. to any of these. That's That blows me a lot. That blows me a lot. And I'll, and then the other thing that blows me is um the chaser, like, lingo. Like, like they think I want to be talked to, like, you know, like, this little kitten. Like, no, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't need you to talk to me like like a good girl like yeah that's, uh, that's weird oh, it's weird it's weird yeah. that's really annoying um that's really fucking annoying but you know you know but honestly i will give it up for some of the chasers sometimes i'd rather have a chaser than some like other dude that's just like 
into me, but like doesn't know if he's into me. At least uh-huh. a chaser knows. Yeah. A chaser fucking knows. Yeah. Like there's a there's a whole subset of men, cis men that are intrigued by trans women and want to experience it and want to go down that road, but they don't know if they're gonna like it or uh-huh. what. And so there's a lot of hesitation and even if they do decide to like pull that trigger. The uh-huh. sex is bad. It's awkward. I gotta check in with them. Like, okay, I mean, there's nothing wrong with checking in with people while you're having sex. People should do it more. But it's just like there's some things I'm like, oh, I'm constantly making sure you're okay. Then I can't have fun. You're clearly not having fun. I don't want to have sex with them that's not like ecstatic and enthusiastic about it. So it's just like mm-hmm. that's just like annoying. It's just like it's just not fun for either one of us. And then those dudes usually want a bottom. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm a bottom. <laughs> wow. So sometimes I'd rather have a chaser. At least the chaser knows what they want, and they know they're gonna like it. So do any of the chasers you end up dating? Huh? Do you end up dating any of the chasers? I've never dated a chaser. I've had I've had a lot of sex with chasers, but I've never dated one because I don't mm-hmm. think I could date a chaser. Yeah, I they probably hide could. it from their family or something. Yeah, a lot of well. You know, I think there's like there's like a there's like a like a group of chasers that yeah, it's all very DL and on the down low and like yeah. a secret with that's never gonna fly. Then there's like a lot of then there's some chasers that really don't care and that they would introduce you to their family, but then mm-hmm. it's just like every girlfriend you've had is trans and none of them have worked out. Like, well, okay, what is happening here? <laughs> what is happening here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is happening? Which I've met those guys too. It's like, okay, you only date trans women, which is fine. But like mm-hmm. none of the relationships have worked out. What what is is yeah. it? Who is the common denominator? And do I want to be next on the list? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it should be like a trans dating magazine. Oh, do you know what? I should write a trans sex and dating magazine. That then we could have the porn, the fashion, the poetry. <laughs> what kind of porn would you put? What kind of porn would I put? Yeah, would, maybe I should I think ask it would be. I think it would be. I think it would be like. It would be like some stuff where like people are wearing like mascot heads, mm-hmm. but then having like, sex. So like, kind of, like just a little bit of furry, but not a lot of furry. Yeah, yeah, like, maybe something like funny. that. <laughs> I'm just thinking about these people, these huge ass heads on. Yeah, trying to do yeah. it. Or people yeah. fucking like, um, are fucking like really big stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Like that's funny. Like, yeah, I think I would love that. I love stuffed animals, so maybe. Something like that, um, yeah. I'll think about. I'll think some more about it. So definitely some like like some like amateur type footage, porn too. That would all probably definitely have to be involved too. Like have you have you been at a place where you were almost suicidal? Yeah, I really was. I think before I transitioned, I really was in some really dark places. Um, I don't think, uh, I, I mean, I've never dealt with like chronic depression mm-hmm. ever, but I think I've dealt with a lot of trauma coming out of like a religious background and dealing with my gender identity and my sexuality. Um, so coming to terms with that definitely, I think fueled some of the like darker times in my life and then Mm -hmm. especially when I knew I needed to transition but I wasn't ready to take that step yet um that's probably when I was at my lowest that's really scary Uh, it is scary it's scary because it's just like you know which is another reason why I wanted to think about concepts of transvengeance because you know for I think for some people I think 
the best vengeance you can have is like staying alive, mm-hmm. staying alive, and outliving all these motherfuckers, right? Yeah. You know, that can be a form of transcendence. And I think, you know, and I'm not saying like, you know, I still have moments where I, I'm sad and I get down, but I'm much happier and I'm in a much better place because I made the decision to transition. Mm-hmm. If I had never made the tr- decision to transition, I probably would be, I probably would have like killed myself. I probably would be dead because I probably would not have been able to like, I know I could not live my life as a man for the rest of my life. That definitely yeah. would be able to be sustainable mentally you know, for me, you know, so, but I mean, I'm glad I came on the other side of it. Transitioning definitely helped. Transitioning didn't like cure me of all my fucking issues and problems. Of course not. Like I'm a human and I still have my things that I want to work through and things I want to be better person for, but like it solved one big issue, right? Mm -hmm. It took care of one big issue, which I think is the, is important, right? Important for a lot of people. So how did your parents react? So my parents are not that supportive of me. Um, when they, when I came out as gay when I was 14 and they took me to like, I did like, I know they go to like conversion therapy for a little bit. It's like conversion therapy for a little bit, but it wasn't like the scary kind (laughs) that you see in the news. If anything, I would, I mean, I kind of handed to my parents because like, I think after the, like first five sessions or something like the even the therapist brought my mom in and she would and he was like i don't think she's i don't think she's gonna change or anything i don't think she it's not working basically basically it's not working my mom was Mm -hmm. like really and he's like yeah i was like yeah i was like yeah i don't want to do this anymore (laughs) yeah i i so you know which is you know i guess for my parents like they're like okay well we're not gonna keep having her go to these sessions if they're not going to work. But they like thought li- it was going to work. They thought it was going to fucking work. I'm like, it's not going to work. It was like a liberal, like, tra- like a trans, like, conversion school if they're, like, letting you go after five sessions. I thought those people were, like, <laughs> barbaric. <laughs> That's what I thought. I mean, I was like, I wanted... I wish I had the, like, scary Christian, like, you know like work workhouse like fucking mm-hmm. story but no i just i had i didn't have that it's probably um, a good thing it was a good no it's, it's a very good thing it's a very yeah. good but um but no yeah um it was always an issue of contention with my family because that when they realized that therapy wasn't going to work then i just i came back home and they were like you know still trying to get me to like change and pray the gay away and i'm just like i'm not that's not happening God. it's not gonna happen yeah so, so- do you move out at some point? Um, so I moved out of my parents' house when I was 18 and I went to college. Okay. And then I moved back home for a summer, for the summer before I moved to St. Louis. Okay. So I've only, so yeah, I only lived at home after college, like, like for like a couple months right out of college. So how do they feel now? Um, we kind of are at this impasse where, um, which actually, you know what? The best way I could describe it. I, I can read something about it. Okay. So this is from the new piece. This is from the new piece. Um, and this is kind of what I came to, you know, I, I have forgiven my parents for a lot of it, you know, because um, I realized it's not my issue. It's their issue. Yeah. You know, it's their issue. And they ha- and just like I have the power, I had the power to change my situation, become a happier person. They also have the power to change their situation. 
but you know they they have to want to change it. Um, but uh, but you know my parents, we still talk. Like I'm actually gonna go see them for Christmas. Um, but like it's very much like once it became clear that I was not, I was gonna keep living the life I want to live. It was like okay, well. They just they just leave it alone, but they but they don't go out of their way to talk about it. Um, they've never seen me perform. They've never seen any of my work. Well, hope they end up going. Huh? Well, hope they end up going to a performance of yours. I would love. I mean, I would love it. I would, it would. It would really mean a lot to me. Granted, they might be shocked with what they're gonna hear, but I would. Uh, if they were able to make it there i would i would, it would mean a lot to me honestly is there a but, place um, in missouri that you could perform at during christmas um uh, i'm from a small small town oh i'm from i'm from like middle of nowhere bumbug mm-hmm. it's tiny so not really anywhere where i'm from but um but you know maybe one day i might do something but you know i tell my i tell them all the things i do like i'm like oh, i'm on tour like i'm you know i'm doing this thing i'm doing this workshop so you know they very much know what i do um and they are proud of me they're proud that i am like a working artist um but they've never they've never seen me perform um oh but this is what i was gonna read and this is kind of how i feel about my parents especially my mom um so i wrote down i understand now that love can be both full and frail Hearing my mother tell me how my cousins and my aunts and uncles are no longer on speaking terms. Meanwhile, she bakes me pies and cobblers and cakes for a 24-hour trip home. And yes, she can't speak aloud my power as a woman before her. Too painful to see me as her daughter, as her heir of motherhood, as I kneel before her moaned out and begging for her approval. And yes, she loves me the best way she knows how, always reminding me that nothing can keep us apart and that wherever she stands, I will always have a home. It was then that I think I truly forgave her and came to terms with how our relationship will most likely exist for the rest of our lives. Nice. No, you're welcome. Very powerful. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, Because I, you know, and also, you know, I also feel like very much like what's happened over the last like several years, especially with Donald Trump um, and what happened in Colorado, it really makes me feel like, no, there's no more compromising Exactly. Feelings like, like I'm going to be 100% fully authentically how I need to be. And if someone doesn't have a problem with it, they just can choose not to be around me. You know, mm-hmm. like after everything that's been happening, it's like there's no, there's no time left for compromising. Yeah. <laughs> there's literally no time left. So there's all these stupid laws they keep putting out. Yeah. No, it's scary. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. It's so right. Like Kevin Stitt, uh, he's from Oklahoma. He passed some legislation about like trans youth. They can't even get like therapy counseling. Yeah. Like you have to be reported and like you go on some list. Yeah. Some it's bullshit. Fucking it's fucking terrifying. What is your opinions on like trans youth? I guess. Um, I feel, I feel like trans kids really do need to be supported and protected. I think what the most fucked up thing is is like these people are trying to frame their actions as protecting children yeah. and protecting children from like these bad things that trans and queer people are doing to them and brainwashing them and then you know they're calling us all groomers and they're calling us all pedophiles and it's 
to me, that's really terrifying because like I, I grew up in a very conservative religious environment. And granted, I've heard those things told about the queer community when I was a kid, but the level of vitriol, even I didn't hear from the craziest fucking backwater preacher of my preachers of my childhood, didn't even approach that with as much vitriol as these people are doing now. And so to me, that's the scariest part. Yeah. It's the level of anger and hatred they have for us to the point where I feel like they're making this out to be like they're protecting the kids. Well, the kids, you, you already are, are not protecting the kids because most of the kids are already getting abused by people in their own families. Like in their, you know, in their own schools or their families and like their churches, like you're, they're already getting manipulated and abused, like by their own communities, right? So it's mm -hmm. like the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, the call it's is like from inside the house, but they can't, they can't accept that they are a part of the problem. They can't yeah. accept that the way that people are traumatized or abused are through all of these situations of power and control that they mostly have, mm -hmm. that they mostly have. So it's like, in order to, if they really wanted to protect the kids, they would have to admit that they've been the ones abusing and tormenting and terrorizing the kids all this time. Yeah. You know? And then a lot they of times, like, they're, they're protesting, they're protesting these drag story hours or whatever, when like the drag at the show, it's usually a person in a big, long dress, very right. covered up. Very, Very covered painted up. up. Yeah. Very covered up. And um, also, I've been to a lot of drag bars. I've I've seen very few, if no, children in all my life mm -hmm. ever a drag bar. Like a drag story hour is a completely different booking. Oh it's yeah. It's a different booking. Massively different. It's a different event, but it's but it's just like it's just like they can't accept. In order for them to to really protect the kids, it would take them to have to admit that like. Most of, most people who are harming kids are like it's the calls are coming from inside the house. They would yeah. have to make their own culpability, but they yeah. can't do that because they can't pass laws against themselves. They don't want to pass laws against, so they're going to pass laws on us and mm -hmm. say we're the ones harming the kids and we're brainwashing the kids and we're great grooming the kids and X, Y, and Z. Um, and so it's scary and it, it makes me scared for the trans kids. Like you know, yeah, I feel like a lot of trans adults like me and my and other people I know. We, we've lived through a lot of fucked up shit and we kind of know how to like either pass through the world undetected or like, or live on, or live lives in communities that are so like, so like full of other queer and trans people that, you know, we have that like community support. So it, but it scares, but what worries me is the trans kids. Cause usually when you're a kid, if you're lucky, you might have some, LGBTQ people in your life, like other friends from school, but very rarely do you have trans and queer and gay elders mm -hmm. to really help you understand like who you are and uh, and encourage you to be your best self, but also not and look at you as a valid person, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's the, that's the scary part because, you know, we're depriving these kids uh, yet again of having access to trans elders and mentors uh, and queer and gay trans, you know, elders and mentors that really do just want these kids to be the best human beings they can be and letting them know that there's nothing wrong with them for being the way they are. Mm -hmm. you know? 
Would you ever start your own podcast series where you interview other trans? Oh God! You know what? I I think I I think I I think the podcast train left me a long time ago, baby. Okay, <laughs> it left me a long time ago. Yeah. Oh my God! I don't I don't think I'm cut out for the podcast world. If I ever had a trans writer, though, and I was inviting him on the show, would you ever come back and interview them? Oh, of course. Yeah, I would love to be. Yeah, I would love to come back. I don't think I don't think I'm interesting enough to do to do a series of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't think I'm interesting. I don't think I'm. Well, I think it's. I'm pretty to look at, but it's a different like uh, foundation where, like, if I'm a cis white male interviewing a trans woman. It's going to be different if there's a trans woman interviewing a trans woman. Right, of course. Yeah, the conversation is totally different. Yeah, I love being in conversation with other trans girls and other trans women. Um, so that would be fine for sure. Uh, I don't know. Man, also, I don't know. I'm a horrible. I'm a horrible planner. Mm-hmm. I'm a horrible. But I feel like you need a lot of planning skills for podcasts. Yeah, not really. Not you really. Just, like, okay. You say you just like say the date and the time, and you. You just pick a random date and time, and you, you see if it works. If it doesn't work, then you pick another random date and random time. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doubting myself. Maybe I could, maybe I could be a podcaster. Maybe, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. Who, who do you want to hear on the show? Who do I want to hear on the show? Yeah, on your show. Yeah, in the future. Oh, in the future. Oh, other other queer writers. Sure. Oh, Anyone. My God. Uh, you should, if you can get, um, ooh, who would I want to see on the show? I would love to see, um, uh, you know, Morgan, uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe Morgan Page. She just, uh, did that film, Framing Agnes. Are they, like, really famous? Huh? Is she, like, really famous? Yeah, she's a trans historian and writer. If they're too big, I may not be able to get... (laughs) I think, like, DIY people that no one knows. (laughs) No no offense. No, (laughs) no, I'm not taken. None taken. Um... Oh, DIY. I mean, Joe, you said Joe? I would love to hear Joe. Guys, Joe is hilarious on Twitter. I would love to see Joe on a podcast. If I can get them, if they agree to it, I think you could get them. Or if I got them and then brought you back and then y'all talk. Yeah, we will. We'll probably talk a lot about boys. Okay. We'll probably talk a lot. Yeah, I saw. I saw them at a online reading. They were pretty good. Yeah, I love Joe. So I say Joe because Joe would be hilarious. Okay. Are we good? It was about two hours. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we're good. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Thank you for talking to me. It was a fu- so much fun. We'll have to do it again sometime when you're next. No, honestly, yeah, I'm down anytime. Cool. All right. Well, have a good day. You too. All right. Bye, baby. Bye. Bye. And that was Joss Barton, poet and artist and illustrator and all that good stuff. And I'll talk to you guys later at another date and time. I hope you, I, I would like to get Joe on the show. Joe's pretty cool. But I don't, I don't know Joe. I don't have their contact information. I'll edit this part out.